All right. Hey, can we give it up for these guys? You guys enjoying your week so far? Heck yeah. Okay. Hey, if you have a Bible with you, let me see it. Okay. Let me see it. Put it up high in the air. Let me see it. Let me see it. Okay. All right, y'all. Let me just remind you, let me double down on my two commitments to you. Everything we talk about tonight and this week is coming straight from this book. Greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told in its entirety. Number two, I'm going to treat you like adults. And tonight we're going to talk about this Jesus. And I want to walk through this story and some of these characters that just spoke from the witness stand. And we're going to look at who is this Jesus character. And then your, your one commitment back to me is that you're going to lean. You're going to lean. Lean in, okay? So tonight, open up your Bibles, grab a pen and paper, something to take notes with. Open your Bibles to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And we've been walking through this story in the book of John. We've been seeing it portrayed up here in Dogtopia. And we talked about this verse uh, a couple nights ago. Right? When John, remember when I said John just kind of writes different Right? Matthew sets out to, to speak to a Jewish audience. He's write, writing in a first century Jewish culture, and he's, he ties Jesus back in with the Old Testament story of Israel as the Messiah. Mark is kind of your immediately this and then immediately that. If you don't really like reading, there's only 16 chapters in the book of Mark. That's your go-to gospel. Luke's your doctor. Right? He, he inserts details that none of the other gospel writers write. And then John just writes a little bit different. Nothing's really in order. Uh, there's no Christmas. He just goes, I'm going to take the entire book of John and I'm going to make a case for who this Jesus is. And then he says this in John chapter 20, verse 31. And if you're in John chapter 20, verse 31, Hume Lake, can I get a nice loud preach? All right, that's what's up, okay? John chapter 20, verse 31 says, but these are written, this is John writing. He says, I wrote this book. These are written that you, my reader, might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. See, here's the thing. When John was writing this, he wasn't, after just a, a cognitive belief. He wasn't after yours or my recognition simply that Jesus was real. He, see, believe, when John wrote it, had everything to do with trust. See, it wasn't just, hey, just believe that Jesus was real. Because we might be able to sit here and go, hey, and if I asked you, hey, do you believe in Jesus? You might go, yeah, sure. But if I asked you a follow-up question, do you trust Jesus? That's a whole other question. And yet for John, those two words were so tied together. If you read through the book of John, the words believe and trust, they go hand in hand. That there wasn't really a difference between those two things. If you believed in Jesus, you then trusted him. And because he says, if you believe in him, you're going to have life in his name. And the only way to truly have life in his name is if you trust in who he is and what he says. You remember all the way back to the beginning of this story in Genesis chapter 3 where there was a crafty snake that comes into the picture and with four words changed the story? Did God really say? See, our enemy goes, 
you can't really trust God and you can't really trust what he says. If, if we can be convinced not to trust Jesus and not to trust who he is or what he says, then it will work its way into our life by us going, well, I kind of want to do what I want to do when I want to do it how I want to do it. See, uh, not too long ago, um, we were having baptisms at my church, and you know, it was down in San Diego. We kind of have this big open plaza at my church, and we have this baptismal that you can uh, like set up and tear down from time to time. And so it was a, a Sunday, and what I like to call big church, we were doing uh, th- these baptisms with big church. And so there were some people from student ministries, there were some people from you know, adults from church, but there was this line of like 40 people that were lined up to get baptized. And then there was you know, the people that were gonna climb into the baptismal with them and do the baptizing. So all in all, you probably have about 80 people getting in and out of this baptismal all morning. And I was near the back, uh, I got to baptize one of my students that day. I was near, one, near the back of the line and, and, and this is like a, uh, can I, can I be totally honest with you guys? Is this a safe space? Okay. Baptism for me is like the coolest thing ever, right? The Great Commission, Jesus says, go. Like after the resurrection, he goes, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. He says, I'm going to be with you. He gives us a mission. And so for me, as a pastor, as somebody that invests my life into students, like the, the gift to baptize a student is like the coolest thing ever. But I also really don't like feet. I know, I know. Like some of you are like, whatever, get over yourself, it's fine. But like for whatever reason, like I'm okay with my feet, I'm okay with my wife's feet, and I'm like mostly okay with my daughter's feet. Like the, as Piper gets older, I'm a little bit like, mm, like those are kind of gross, right? Yes, very thankful for my wife's toes. And like, but for the most part, like feet just kind of gross me out. And if you know like a baptismal, everybody's like walking up to the baptismal and if they haven't already, like they take their shoes off and they're like climbing up into this and they've been like walking in those, those shoes and like the dogs are out and they're just like walking into that baptismal and I'm watching like person after person after person after person climb into this baptismal and by the time I got in there, it's got that like murky, like kind of gross, like this water, y'all, like I'm climbing into it and I... It's literally, like, I'm torn here because I'm like, on one end, this is the coolest thing ever that I get to baptize this girl and I'm, like, seeing this new life and I'm seeing her make a decision to follow Jesus. And on the other side, I'm, like, battling this other side of me that's like, this is so gross, this is so gross, this is so gross. I'm like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And homegirl has to go underwater, right? I just have to, like, I'm staying up here. I baptize her and then I get out of there as quickly as possible. And I'm standing around in the plaza afterwards and I'm talking to my wife and like any good church kid, like my kids are usually like the last kids to leave because, you know, we're standing around talking and helping clean up and whatnot. And so Piper's running around the church, like, just like playing and, you know, her, her face is all like red and flush and uh, you know, she's running around, running around, playing, kind of sweaty. She checks in every once in a while. And I look at my wife and I'm like, hey, have you seen Piper in a little bit? And she's like, oh, I think she was like over by the grass. And we have a facilities team on campus and they're starting to tear down. And they do the whole thing where you've like, if you grab a hose and you can like suck the water out of the hose and you can stick it in the baptismal and then it like drains through the hose. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. They like, they do this thing. And so the baptismal, right? 80 people, feet, all that is draining into a grass lawn. And I'm talking to my wife and out of the corner of my eye, I look and I catch my daughter Piper. I kid you not. I kid you not. I'm going to throw up in my mouth right now, okay? I kid you not. My daughter Piper, after running around playing, she grabs the hose and she's like, 
Just gulping, just gulping this water. And I'm like, I'm like, babe, uh, babe, uh, your daughter, right? Your daughter, your daughter is drinking the baptismal water. And both of us are like, oh, wow. Like we've seen something as parents, but like that, this might take the cake. And so I run over there. I run over there and we have this, uh, because we're good parents, right? We have this like little pink Yeti water bottle with a P etched on it, right? And it's like, I run over there and I like at home, I open that sucker up. I, you know, press the button on the fridge, like filtered water. It's nice. It's clean. It's good for you. Screwed that on and said, I'm taking this to church with me. And you know, my daughter's going to have water if she wants water. And so I run over there and I get her this like fresh, pure, good for her water. And I'm like, hey, baby girl, like you can't drink the baptismal water. She looks at me and she's like, why dad? right and I'm like hey here's like I brought your water bottle and she just looks at me and she's like no goes back to the goes back to baptism and I'm like ah and this moment kind of kills me right like one it's gross it's just like there's no denying that but two like there's something for me as a dad that I'm like there's there's like a fracture in relationship here, where like you don't trust that what I have for you is actually better. Right? Like you're choosing what you want, when you want it, how you want it. And you're in this moment at two and a half years old looking at me as your dad going, I know better. I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it. And I'm, I'm on a knee going, hey baby girl, I have something that's so much better for you. You just need to trust me. You just need to lean in. And here's the fact, right? At two and a half years old, there's already this fracture where she goes, there are moments in my life, dad, where I don't trust you. And I was watching this happen. I was watching this play out and it struck me. I do this all the time, right? This morning, we were talking about this book. Right, this morning, uh, we, we were talking about the fact that God has given us Genesis through Revelation, the greatest story that's ever told. God has given us. He's laid it out. This is how I made you. This is what I designed you for. This is the direction that your life should head in, that, that you should go in. And how often do you and I go, mm, no thanks. I don't really trust you enough to do what you say. I, I don't really trust this character of, of who you are. And there's, there's moments that I doubt, God, who you are and what you say. And, and you and I, if we're, if we're being honest, you and I, a lot of the times, we're kind of like Piper, just gulping from the baptismal, going, I am going to consume what I want to consume. I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And I believe wholeheartedly, like, I don't think God's standing there going, seriously, Austin, again, choosing your own, own way. But I do think God watches me make decisions that aren't the decisions that he would have for me. Sin is any thought, word, action, or attitude that goes against God's design or direction for our life. And I think there are times where there's sin in my life, where God's looking at me with the sin in my life going, I have something so much better for you. But here's the problem. Right, if you're anything like me, do you remember I was uh, telling you a little bit of my, about my story growing up where um, to, to, I was pretty convinced that to be a Christian, you kind of lived this boring life. 
and to follow the rules and the regulations of the Bible, to do what my pastor said, to do what my parents asked of me, a lot of the times I thought, like, That's, this is kind of boring. I kind of want to do what I want to do because it looks a whole lot more fun. But I, I guess I'd rather go to heaven. Friends, do you want to know why I think I struggle with that? I struggle with that because if I'm being honest, my picture of Jesus, I didn't really think he could help me. In the midst of my anxiety, my insecurity, my doubts, my shame, on my darkest days, uh, if I'm being honest, this was kind of my Jesus. Y'all seen this picture before? Or something similar to it? Right, like a very docile, a very docile Jesus holding a lamb, right? Like, or maybe he's got like a red sash on. Um, I was at Biola on uh, Monday morning before I drove up here, and at Biola, there's this like, 25, 30 foot mural of Jesus. And he's got like long flowing hair and blue eyes. And he's wearing this huge sash. It's like, and it's like kind of this like flowy outfit. And I walked with Piper and I said, Piper. And I was just curious, like genuinely, I was just walking. Like I went to, to Biola. So like I walked by this mural a thousand times. And I walked by with Piper and I said, Piper, do you know who that is? And she, you know what she said? She said, it's Jesus. And I was like, Piper, how do you know that's Jesus? And she said this to me, I kid you not, I kid you not. Okay, hey, I know there's a bug in the room, but stay with me, okay? Stay with me right here, okay? It's not gonna hurt you, I promise, okay? If it hurts you, sue Hume, I don't care, okay? Okay, but stay, stay with me, stay with me, okay? I look at this mural of Jesus, and I go, Piper, how do you know that's Jesus? And do you know what she said to me? She said, he's wearing a dress. And I was like, how, why do... Why are those two things, hey, stay with me, you're good, you're good, hey, this side of the room, we're chilling, right here, okay, stay with me, okay, we good, we good, all right, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, this becomes our Jesus, and if this is our Jesus, if this is what we are informed, that we go, this is Jesus, then on your darkest day, in the midst of your doubt, in the midst of your fear, in the midst of your insecurity, in the midst of your shame, if that's your Jesus, then no wonder we have a hard time trusting him. Right? Does that make sense? Like if we look at this and we let, we let us, our idea of Jesus, like this Sunday school, sash-wearing, lamb-holding Jesus, like on my darkest day, I'm not like, that's the Jesus I want. There's so many other people I would rather have in my corner. And the problem is, if that's our Jesus, we're not letting the Bible inform us on who Jesus actually is. Right? This morning we talked about the fact that God's word is final, it's authoritative, it's sufficient, it's trustworthy. And if we don't let the Bible tell us who Jesus is, on your darkest day, you will not turn to Jesus. Because a docile, lamb-holding Jesus, I'm like, bro, what are you going to do for me? And so I want us tonight to allow us to for, allow the Bible to inform us on who Jesus is. And I'm going to give us three options that we can do with Jesus. Three things that you will do with Jesus. This isn't one of those like pass, uh, you know, none of the above multiple choice questions. We will do one of these three things. Okay, so you're already in John chapter 20. Turn back to John chapter 18. And this is Jesus on trial. 
Hey, and Biscuit read a part of this on night one, but I just want to reread it for us in this context to understand, right? What are the things that we do with this Jesus character? And the first thing, if you're taking notes, right? You can just write this question down. What do I do with Jesus? Question mark. And you will do, you and I, we will do one of these three things. Hey, the first one is disregard. Disregard. Hey, so Jesus in John chapter 18 is on trial before Pilate. And in verse 33, chapter 18, verse 33, it says, Pilate then went back inside to the palace and he summons Jesus. And he asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responds, is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replies, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is this that you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king, then said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born, the reason I came into this world is to testify to the what? Truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Y'all, this is a bold statement. Jesus seems to draw a line in the sand and says, there is truth, and then there is the opposite of truth. And he says, everybody on this side of truth listens to me. See, Jesus seems to suggest here, according to Jesus, that truth cannot be based on personal preference or perspective. There's no such thing as your truth or my truth. There's no such thing as, well, maybe that just doesn't feel very good for you, or maybe you don't identify with that type of truth. Jesus says everybody on this side of truth, aka there is only one truth, and it's me. See, truth is not personal or individual. Jesus says, I am truth, and I was born. I came into this world to testify to that truth. So Pilate is standing there, and you know what he responds in this moment? He says, what is truth? See, the first thing, the first thing that we can do with Jesus is we can disregard him. Jesus can come into the world and he can make statements like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. Right? How many times did Theo stand up here tonight in the drama and go, I'm the pup. I'm the master. This is about me. And so the first thing that we can do is we can just disregard that. And just go, no, no, he's not. He's not truth. And this is what Pilate does. We see Pilate do this. We see other characters in the New Testament do this. Jesus shows up on the scene and says, you have an option. You can choose to follow me or disregard me. So option number one is we can disregard Jesus. Option number two is we can downplay Jesus. Option number one, disregard. Option number two, downplay. Um, did y'all see the cat in here? She was standing in here, right? I love that they introduced the cat into the story, right? That was just a brilliant moment. But the cat is actually a character in John chapter four, and it's the Samaritan woman, right? And some of you are like, I knew it, right? Good job, okay? 10 points for Gryffindor, okay? But the, the Samaritan woman, she comes down, and she's standing here on trial, and Jesus in John chapter four, you can go read it later this week, he has this beautiful interaction with her where he comes and it says that he had to go through Samaria and Jews and Samaritans, they just didn't associate with one another, 
right? They weren't big fans of one another. And Jesus goes and he interacts this woman who's caught up in sin and she's caught up in shame. And he has this whole conversation with her where he calls her out on the things that she's been walking through in the most loving way. But she says this, she goes, ah, I see that you're a prophet. And this is one of the, one of, this is one of the things that is the most common responses to Jesus. We take who Jesus says that he is in scripture and we just downplay it. We go, he's a good teacher. He's a healer. Right? He, he came and he showed people how to do life. And we go, no, I'm a big fan of Jesus. Right? Especially in Southern California, we see this all over the place. In a spiritual context, people go, oh no, Jesus, that guy's awesome. Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus was great, great moral teacher, right? Like when he stood up, when he spoke, when he healed, that's awesome. But what we're missing is what Jesus actually said about himself. See, one of my favorite arguments of all time is by a guy named C.S. Lewis. And he said that Jesus is either Lord, a lunatic, or a liar. Those are the only options. There's no way he was just a good teacher. There's no way he was just a healer. Jesus was either who he said he was or he was crazy. If somebody stood up on this stage and said, I am God, the only way to get to heaven is through me. If I stood up here and said that, you would have to either be go, bet, I'm in, I'm gonna follow you. Or go, this guy is kind of crazy. Chipotle night, I don't know what he ate. But like, that guy just called himself God. No good teacher, no person that's like, you know, like a spiritual leader in the environment has ever said, I'm God, there's one way to get to heaven, and it's through me. That's not like a good teacher kind of thing to say. And so we either disregard him or we downplay him. In John chapter 6, we saw this, this was one of the stories too, where there's this uh, feeding of the 5,000. We see in this moment where Jesus feeds 5,000 people and then there's this whole multitude, this whole crowd of people that stick around. And you wanna know why they stick around? We read in John chapter six, they wanna see the show. They, they want to be fed. They're hanging around Jesus because they're like, yo, this dude raised people from the dead. Like I was here and I was starting to get hungry and all of a sudden bread showed up. Like, what's next? And they're just following Jesus around and they're like, like, I'm here to ride the wave. Like, this is cool. And then Jesus says this in John chapter six. He stands up and he says, unless your life is entirely marked by me, unless you make me Lord of your life, you hand the steering wheel of your life over to me, and you, you take your entire life and you place your whole trust in me. You have no part with me. And the whole crowd goes, huh? And in John chapter six, in fact, I, I just want to turn to the end of this in John chapter six. I want to read this right here because it's a beautiful moment. This is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. John chapter six. Verse, uh, start in 65. John chapter six, verse 65. Hey, so we can disregard Jesus. We can downplay Jesus. And in John chapter six, do you know what I like to call these people? What, what I like to call this crowd? I like to call this crowd, the, they had a Lunchable Jesus, right? Y'all still eat Lunchables ever, right? Like I hadn't had a Lunchable in, 
I don't know how long, like since elementary school. And I was, in, I was in the grocery store the other day and we were picking up some things and I was over in like the kids aisle getting stuff for Piper and I saw Lunchable and I was like, no way, right? And I got one of those like, lunch, like pizza Lunchables where you like make your own pizza. It's like the world's tiniest pizza. And the, the cool thing about Lunchables is it's all like when you, when you like, like open the lid of that thing, it's all segmented, right? Like everything's like, here you got this, and then you got this, and like all the little sections, and then it's got your little dessert section. And I think in John chapter six, these people had a lunchable Jesus. Then when I got my life, I got like fun, I got sports, I got work, I got friends, and then there's a whole section of my life that's Jesus. I go to youth group, I pay attention in chapel for the most part. And like Jesus, he's got this whole area. He's got this whole section of my life. Like Jesus is great. And you know what Jesus says in John chapter six? He says, I won't be a lunchable Jesus. I won't be a part of your life. I will either have all of it or none of it. And in John chapter six, verse 65, he says this. Jesus says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And in John chapter 6, verse 66, it says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Hume, look at me real quick. Pause right there and look up at me. Do you realize the amount of people that were present with Jesus, they saw the miracles, that when they heard Jesus say, I will either be all of your life or none of it. They went, nah. And they turned and they left. Jesus in the flesh was right there and they walked away. You can disregard him. You can downplay him. He can be a lunchable Jesus or the third D, disregard, downplay, is you can be a disciple. You can be a disciple. And here's what I love about this moment. In John chapter 66, or chapter 6, verse 66, it says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer follow him. And then Jesus turns to his guys, his 12 disciples, and he says this. He says, do you want to leave too? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And can I tell you something, Hume? This has become a mantra for me. See, the last uh, two or three years in my life have been some of the hardest years I've ever personally walked through. I, one of my best friends lost his wife. My wife and I, we had some personal struggles with having kids. There was, uh, you know, COVID happened, which impacted all of us in a variety of different ways. There was disruption in the workplace. There was just so many moments in my personal life. As I was doing ministry and being a pastor, there were so many moments for me where just between me and God, I just went, what? I don't get this. I don't understand this. And in this moment, this is where like, my theology, like the rubber meets the road a little bit. Because I can stand up on a stage at a place like Hume. I can stand up in front of my kids back home in San Diego. And I can tell them to trust Jesus all day long. But in my own life, when things start getting tough, when things get difficult, right? When, when, like, when things just don't line up and you start asking the question like, what, why is this happening? Like, 
What? What? Why? I love that the disciples in this moment didn't get it. They didn't understand it. And when they watched all of these people walk away from Jesus, Jesus turns to them and goes, what about you guys? Do you guys want to go too? And Peter's like, look, man, I don't understand this, and I don't fully get it, but where else am I going to go? He says, you're Jesus. You have, the, you have the words of eternal life. I love that response. And for you as a fifth grader, sixth grader, seventh grader, eighth grader in this room, right, I know enough to know some of you have already had tough lives. There's already been things that have been difficult in your life. But I also know enough to know that the hardest day of your life is probably in front of you. It's still yet to come. And when the rubber meets the road in your life, in the midst of your shame and insecurity and doubt and anxiety, in your hardest, darkest day, are you going to rely on a lamb holding Jesus or are you going to let the Bible inform you on who this Jesus character is and are you going to trust him on that day? I want to end just by telling you guys a little bit of a story. I'm a big sports guy. I love the NFL, right? And I already told you guys I'm a Raiders fan. I know, like, it's, it's, the, cross, it's the cross that I bear. But back in, uh, back in 2017... Back in 2017, I was watching uh, the Super Bowl with one of my friends. And the, the friend that I was watching the Super Bowl with, he's like a, he was a diehard Patriots fan. And like, say what you will, say what you will, right? Like you can boo all you want, but like Tom Brady is undeniably the greatest of all time, right? Like it just, it is what it is, okay? And so we, I was watching the Super Bowl. I was watching the Super Bowl in 2017, but here's the deal, okay? I had watched it live in 2017, but one of my buddies who was like a diehard Patriots fan, he had chose to watch it with me, but he couldn't watch it live. So I promised him, I told him, I was like, hey, I'll record it. I'll record the Super Bowl and you and I can watch it afterwards together. And so if you know anything about the 2017 Super Bowl, it was one of the craziest Super Bowls of all time. In the third quarter, in the third quarter, I kid you not, okay? With a little over eight minutes left in the third quarter, the Patriots were down uh, 28 to three, 28 to three. So if you're watching this Super Bowl, as a Patriots fan, you're like, bro, turn it off, right? Like there's never been a comeback like that in the history of the sport. And so if you're watching the Super Bowl in 2017 as a Patriots fan, it's the third quarter and Matty Ice and the Atlantic Falcons are beating up on the Patriots. And if you're a Patriots fan, you're sitting there going like, oh, come on, Tom, do better. But for me, remember, I told you I recorded this Super Bowl, right? So this whole thing's recorded. Homeboy that I was watching it with hasn't seen it yet. So we're sitting there watching it. I've already seen the end of the game. And so we're sitting here watching. And when it's 28-3 in the third quarter, I'm sitting back. And I'm, not, I'm trying not to give it away, right? Because that's one of my biggest pet peeves. Like, I'm a pastor, so I work on Sundays. And so I record a lot of stuff, right? And so I like to get home and like, watch the games. And when somebody's like, mm, did you see the game? And they ruin it for me on Sunday morning. I'm like, I hate you. Like, you're the worst kind of person ever, right? Like, I had a nice Sunday afternoon planned. And now, like, you're my enemy, public enemy number one, right? Because you just ruined the game for me. So I'm sitting here, game recorded, and I'm trying not to give it away to my buddy. But if I'm being honest, I kind of have like a little twinkle in my eye. And I'm sitting there in the third quarter going, just wait. Just wait till Tom does his thing. Because here's the thing. Hey, if you're not a sports fan and if you're like, what happened in 2017? Here's what happened. Down 28-3 in the third quarter, Tom Brady and the Patriots start mounting one of the greatest comebacks of all time. 
and Tom Brady scores a touchdown, and the defense gets a stop, and then they score another touchdown, and then the defense gets a stop, and then the fourth quarter starts, and they score another touchdown, and another touchdown pretty, pretty soon, before you know it. When the regular time ends, it's 28 to 28. And if you're an Atlanta Falcons fan, you're watching this going, you have got to be kidding me. They started celebrating, right? And the game goes into overtime, and Tom Brady and the Patriots, they come back, and they win this game 34 to 28 in overtime. Craziest game ever. I remember watching it the first time going, what? Like, I don't care about the Falcons, and I hate the Patriots. And I'm still sitting there going, this is the craziest football game I've ever watched in my life. And watching it the second time, do you know what was the greatest joy of mine? Right? Like the whole time I watched it the first time, I was like sweating, right? Like I'm like up out of my seat. I spilled popcorn, right? Like I was like losing my mind the whole time going just like, this is nuts. The second time I was cool as a cucumber. I was just sitting there going like every time, every time my buddy was freaking out, like they're still going to lose. I was like, bro, just wait, just wait, just wait. You think all is lost. You think you're losing. You think it's over. You think this story's, and I'm sitting there going, just wait. Want to know why? I know how the story ends. And for you, friend, there's gonna be moments in your life. You're in fifth grade, I know. You're in eighth grade, I know. And there's gonna be moments in your life where you feel like, God, do you even see me? Do you even know how hard my life is? Do you know how difficult this move is? Do you know, like, I feel like I have no friends. This is the hardest day of my life. This is the hardest season of my life. And I believe wholeheartedly Jesus wants to meet you in that moment because we know how this story ends. See, this is the greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told in its entirety. And from the very first moment that we broke the system in Genesis chapter three, Jesus sets into motion I am going to come and I'm going to demonstrate what love looks like. And Jesus dies on the cross and he resurrects to prove that he can make dead things alive. And then he says, I will come back. And there will be a day where there's no brokenness and no tears, where there is no war, there's no famine, there's no anxiety, there's no shame. Everything will be restored because of me. And so in your darkest day, friend, would you know that Jesus is sitting there cool as a cucumber? going, just wait, I'm right here. Nothing shocks him, nothing surprises him. That's the Jesus that you and I get to trust. Not the lamb holding, like subtle glow, surfer flowing, blonde hair, blue eyes, like that's not Jesus. Let the Bible inform you on who Jesus is and you and I can trust him and take the invitation of John that says believe in him and have life. Pray with me. God, thank you for tonight. God, would tonight be just a reminder of who you are? God, in all of us in this chapel, the students, the staff, teachers, counselors, leaders, God, all of us in this room, we have a propensity. We, we day in and day out forget that we can put our full trust in you. And when we forget that, God, we tend to take life into our own hands. God, would tonight be a night where we just, we come back to you? Would tonight be a night where we lean in relationally? Where we learn to trust you again? And we understand that even in our hardest moments, even in our darkest days, that those are the days that we can lean in. Because we know how the story ends. 
We love you. Thanks for loving us first. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Austin.